Welcome to What I Wish I Knew by Dental Head Start, your weekly mentoring session thanks to cpdjunkie.com.au. Welcome to the What I Wish I Knew podcast by Dental Head Start. I'm your host, Chidam Kippel from Principal Dental Software. You can check us out at principal.dental. If you've ever had a patient experience post-operative sensitivity or a debond after a bonding procedure, this is a must-listen episode. That's probably all of us, right? In this episode, Dr. Bez breaks down the perfect bonding protocol and details all of the factors that can profoundly affect its success. Bez is a serial CPD junkie and a graduate of several uh, university programs that's involving restorative dentistry. So his depth of knowledge in this subject is pretty exhaustive. It's interesting that every dentist thinks they know how to bond to tooth structure. It's one of the foundational things we learn at uni. Yet it's one of the most misunderstood and inconsistently performed procedures among all practitioners. So in this episode, he clarifies all of that and teaches us how he gets his uh, bonding protocols done perfectly every time. When I first graduated um, and putting my sort of mindset into the mindset of a neat, freshly graduated person, um, what would literally be the most important thing for me? Now, good quality composite bonding is uh, the mainstay of modern dentistry. You can't get away from it, from everyday composites to bonding uh crowns and emacs and veneers to to all sorts of things um and it is something that i believe is still such a basic thing but not necessarily always done to the highest standard so i thought it'd be a good place to start you know it's, it's the sort of thing that i wish i knew when i first graduated I couldn't agree more because when I graduated as well, thinking about back to what we were taught about bonding and what I was doing, you know, in those first couple of years out is actually like completely different to how I think about and and approach basic bonding situations now. I think people assume it's such a basic fundamental thing that they maybe underestimate it's the importance of getting every aspect of it right. Um, I often see you on DPR commenting on posts where, you know, other young dentists are saying things like, oh, I've I've got persistent post-operative sensitivity or my filling keeps coming off or I keep getting D-bonds. And some of it, it's actually quite surprising to see so many people missing some of the basics, like not selectively etching enamel or whatever it is. But if it's okay with you, I'd actually like you to really break it down for us. Um, and let's actually walk through step by step a bonding protocol. You're exactly right. Um, good quality bonding has got so many factors, so many steps in it, you know. So, so really taking it back to the start. Um, I guess you've got to have your uh, prepared, clean tooth surface. Um, and you know, a, a main point to that is it's got to be clean. 
if you don't have a clean surface, if there's uh, still plaque or biofilm on there, if there's staining on there, you can't actually bond properly to that tooth surface. So um, one thing that was an absolute game changer for me years ago is when I got introduced to uh, sandblaster or air abrasion or whatever you want to call it. There are lots of different systems out there. And um, it's the sort of thing that I literally permanently have set up next to me every single time uh, I'm about to do any kind of bonding procedure. I want to make sure that that tooth surface is as pristine and clean as possible. Um, after I've done my uh, preparation, keratin, whatever, I will always pick up a sandblaster and I will just clean that surface. And um, as we were having a chat a second ago, you can actually see with your own eyes that plaque coming off in front of your eyes. And initially when you see that, it's quite shocking how you had no idea that plaque was there because it's quite invisible. As you sandblast, it all comes off. Yeah, it's actually, you can visually see the biofilm um, under that um, sandblaster pressure where if if you were just washing or retching, you wouldn't have been able to see that. And I'm, you know, it's particularly important, I think, for treating buccal class five um, simple abrasion root root surface bonding um, situations where, you know, drilling or preparing the surface with the drill is not enough because it is ultimately bonding and connecting back to that outer enamel layer that has that thick biofilm on it. I couldn't agree more. I cannot live without my um, my my trusty sandblaster. What sandblaster are you using, Just by the way? Just a cheap one. And, you know, everybody always asks me, like, Bez, what have you got? Have you got one of the expensive Aquacuts or this one or that one or, you know, Cava Rondo Flex, you know, that costs like anywhere from three to $10,000. I've got the Danville Micro Etcher 2A. Um, you can, is that the same one that you have? Yep, yep, <laughs> love it. It's a great one. Um, you know, in Australia, you can get that from Amalgadent. I think it costs about $700. You just got to pay attention to what kind of connection it has going to your chair, you know. Um, I've got a quick connect connection, but there are different ways you can attach it to the other lines as well. It's only about $700. Um, I, I have young dentists asking me, so, so you know, I don't have this at my practice and, you know, I'm not a practice owner. Honestly, just buy it yourself. I know, like... Absolutely, you know, just get it. It is it, worth it. It is worth it. It's, you know, um, I'm an associate. I'm not a practice owner. And I have a lot of tools that I've purchased myself for myself because I wanted them. And I can't live without a sandblaster. If I literally didn't have one and nobody was getting it for me, I would just go and buy one. That's how much I rely on it. Do you have any tips around um, how to um, minimise like soft tissue trauma or bleeding while using the sandblaster. Can we use an example like um, we've just prepped a basic class two cavity? Um, okay, so class two cavity. Well, 99.9% of the time I'd be doing that on the rubber dam. So straight away that um, contains the powder and prevents soft tissue trauma. So to you know, rubber dam is one thing we're going to talk about as well in, in a second, but rubber dam, obviously. Um, but if we're doing a class five, um, in those kind of cases, I don't actually use a rubber dam. And yeah, look, basically try to point the sand away from the soft tissue as much as you can. Uh, but sometimes you will have to point towards the soft tissue. I, I normally have some um, a Teflon cord 
packed in into the sulcus at first. So that Teflon cord protects the soft tissue. Um, but look, sometimes you just have to accept that that sand is going to traumatize the soft tissue a little bit. And it's annoying because it means after a few minutes, you're going to get the soft tissue just oozing a bit of blood. What I do these days routinely, I've become a big fan of uh, TCA, trichloroacetic uh, acid. Um, and for example, when doing a class five routinely, I just pack in my Teflon cord, I sandblast, I will every single time apply some TCA, even if there's no bleeding now, because often the bleeding starts in a few minutes. And then I've got peace of mind reassurance that I've got a very nice clean surface. My tissues have been lightly cauterized by that TCA and I'm just not gonna get bleeding as I run through the steps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and um, how do you apply your TCA? This is something I learned from um, uh, Michael Mandikos. Um, me being from the UK, in the UK, TCA is not widely taught. So coming to Australia, this whole TCA thing was new to me and I was terrified of it, um, knowing how dangerous it can be. Um, Michael Mandikos taught me that uh, use it uh, not using a microbrush, but instead using a metal instrument, so a thin, flat plastic. Just dip it inside the uh, TCA and very carefully put it into the sulcus, uh, and that's it. Make sure you've got on hand some bicarb soda and some vitamin E instead of accidents. If a little, you know, bit too much of it gets under the soft tissues or onto the skin, straight away put some bicarb soda to neutralize it and apply some vitamin E. How, how, how do you do that? How do you do that bicarb soda, like in a in a diluted form or in a it's, powder it's form? It's in a powder form. Powder form. I probably, thankfully, it hasn't happened to me yet, but if it was to happen, I'd just put some powder on the area, uh, wash it, and then the vitamin E, uh, it's actually vitamin E supplements you can buy to, to, to have them yourself. It comes in these little uh, capsules and you just cut it and the liquid comes out and just rub that liquid onto the area. Let the patient know what's happened. It's a oh. line. Very easy. Uh, just rub it onto the burn, let them know what's happened and it just heals. Yeah, I didn't know that. Thank you. <laughs> Not at all. I just wrote that down for myself. Love that. We do have TCA as well, but I don't. I actually, that was that's a really good tip around um, uh, soft tissue management and controlling bleeding because sometimes it can be the difference between a twenty minute procedure and a one hour bonding, you know, filling uh, restorative procedure. Completely. Right. Um, soft tissue management is almost another whole topic in itself. Um, we could go on hours about this, but yeah, absolutely. You just yeah, it's, you can't you can't accept that you've got oozing or a bit of bleeding that's going to interfere with your with your bond, and um, so being able to efficiently and quickly and predictably stop, you know, minor gum bleeding or gingival curricular fluid is is just so important. And TCA I found really useful. Another trick that I have, I guess, um, it's not a trick, everybody knows this, just, you know, viscostat, uh, ferrous sulfate. Um, some people prefer aluminium chloride, but I still like uh, ferrous sulfate. Um, just when you use that onto a bleeding gum, um, one tip that somebody taught me years ago was um, don't just leave it on, 
really rub it in. So pick it up on your micro brush and you've got to vigorously rub it in. That's literally how it works. If you just leave it on, it doesn't work as well. But if you vigorously rub it in, it stops the bleeding much better. Yeah, yeah. And um, even things like um, compressing a cotton um, pellet over the top, sometimes they have the cotton pellets that are already impregnated. Yeah, those are great. Um, right adrenaline too. or exactly exactly yeah so I think I, I I totally agree and sometimes I will even use some LA and just inject into the papilla if I if I you know some local anesthetic with the adrenaline um, if I just really um, don't want to risk any bleeding starting midway through the procedure and after you etch use etchant that can re-trigger bleeding as well so sometimes I think it's better just to get the bleeding like under like minimize the risk of it early at the start of the procedure rather than you know having to you know start over midway completely midway and um what one point here also is uh, and I'm sure you can uh, agree with me here how inflamed your gum is to begin with makes a huge difference uh so so you know, I, I see so often kind of like people kind of doing restorations of things and they struggle because that gum is so inflamed because the oral hygiene is poor and then you're trying to do fillings in that mouth and it's just stressful. It's it's crazy if you think about it. You know, why are you doing that to yourself? So we've, we were always taught as dental students, first stabilize the mouth by doing good oral hygiene, get the patient on board, you know, and, you know, that's something also that I learned years ago. I'm just not going to compromise on, you know. Sometimes, you know, patients come in and they want to have all this work done and just jump into it without having done those first steps of, you know, good cleaning and oral hygiene. And it's just a nightmare because every single filling that you do is a bloodbath and it's so stressful. And in the end, you probably end up not getting a very good bond. So things that you do fail. So just take the time to take the patient through that journey first, uh, get really good gum health before you start on your heavy-duty restorative work. Yeah, and I cannot, like, uh, tell you how um, important that is when you're doing things like bonding veneers. If during the temporization phase the, you know, the patient didn't manage uh, the cleaning very well, there is a very, very big difference between bonding veneers with to help, you know, against healthy gingiva versus really inflamed gingiva, um, and also, you know, your heart rate will be, you know, beating at double if if you're if you're just worried that you're going to get a big gush of blood going right as you're bonding. Um, so yes, maintain, uh, stabilize the periodontal health, reduce any gingival inflammation 100%. before we start. Aligners are becoming an integral part of practice, and whether you are new to aligner therapy or an experienced practitioner, the opportunity is vast. But how do you do that well, and how do you do that profitably? Well, Dr. Jeff Hall and Dr. Jesse Green have got together to help you with both of these key problems in aligner therapy. Dr. Jeff Hall is going to teach you how to do clear aligners to a high standard and give you the confidence to be able to treatment plan and troubleshoot your patients. And Dr. Jesse Green is going to show you how to do this more efficiently, more profitably, and to get more patients like these into your practice. 
Solving these problems and getting you profitable in Clear Aligners is what Clear Aligner Excellence, their new education platform, is all about. It also gives you huge discounts on the Aligner Lab fees. There's almost no reason not to find out more. Clearex.com.au So we've talked about if we could just, so we haven't even started bonding yet. We've talked about healthy gums. We've talked about prepping and sandblasting. We've just briefly touched on um, soft tissue management, Teflon cords. Do you mind if we just really quickly, rubber dam is its own topic, but just let's talk about rubber dam and and, and bonding with rubber dam. Not everyone does it. Not everyone is a believer. Um, Okay. I, I often joke that um, it's, it's not a joke, it's actually true. There are some times that I think, oh, my, my, I look in my drawer and I've got like a couple of rubber dam sheets left. I get palpitations. I kind of like tell my nurse straight away, can you please go make sure we've got more in stock because I will cancel the rest of my day if I don't have more in stock. Um, that's how important rubber dam is to me. I can't work without it. Um, that might sound pretentious, but it's really not. Um, I, I started using, I, I dedicated to learning how to put rubber dam on years ago. And I thought, you know what? I know it's best practice. I'm not doing it all the time, but I just really want to learn it. Took me a bit of time. Yeah, there's a learning curve to it. But then once you start using it, and I'm sure you agree with me on this, Chidham, um, you can't go back. It makes dentistry so much easier, so much less stressful. You end up doing better work that has a high success rate and fails less. Um, Retraction of the cheek and the lips and the tongue, it all becomes problems of the past because none of that matters anymore. Um, Isolation, keeping things dry, moisture control, um, it's just not a problem anymore. On the very, very rare occasions that for whatever reason I can't use a rubber dam on, I just find that so stressful and I think oh my god I can't imagine um, having to do this all the time without rubber dam I'd want to quit dentistry what do you think look we could talk about (laughs) rubber dam forever forever. I completely agree but how about this another session let's have a whole podcast dedicated to rubber dam hacks totally agree and all of the situations where you can manipulate rubber dams and do there's lots of little tips and tricks that um you learn through experience or by hearing other others do it but look it is critical to bonding it is even just the people even if it's not it's the vape the moisture the um, from the breath of the patient that can even touch the tooth, even if you think, oh, well, I've got my cotton rolls there, I've got a obturgate, the moisture from the breath that's exactly. condensing on the surface is going to make a difference exactly. as well. So, look, we're all on the rubber dam bandwagon there. It's a big topic. I think you're right. Just dedicating a whole another um, podcast to it is, is a good idea. Okay, sandblasting, rubber dam, um, can we really just quickly talk about just to finish on the um, isolation, soft tissue isolation? You talked about Teflon cords. Is this something you're just spinning a, a tape on your own? What, what are your cord hacks? Yeah, it's it's a call it a hack or yeah. Um, look, you, you can use retraction cord. Um, I prefer a Teflon cord. It's just it's just a Teflon band. Uh, rolled up between your fingers and chopped up into a piece uh, of your, you know, your desired length. That's it. 
Um, it's why do I prefer to retraction cord? People normally ask me. Um, it's become a bit of a habit. Uh, probably the main reason is um, it doesn't have little hairs on it, like retraction cord that gets stuck into my bond or in my composites. So I really like that. Another thing is uh, Teflon is uh, very water rep repellent. So when you do pack it into the sulcus where you want it to, uh, it actually acts better than normal, you know, fabric retraction cords in preventing gingiva crevicular fluid seeping past it. And probably the third reason is um, you can actually pack it in very dense, denser than normal retraction cords. And you, can, you also have a little bit more control. You can actually modify how thick you pack it in. You know, retraction cord, you know, you've got a lot of different thicknesses, so you've got to choose which one you want. Whereas with a Teflon cord, you can actually just modify them the fly based on how much you're packing in. So for me, these are all benefits, but there's nothing wrong with retraction cord per se. You know, if you prefer that one, use that one. I just prefer Teflon cords. Now, you know, we haven't even got to bonding yet. Um, let's, I think we, our surface is clean. It's retracted. There's no bleeding. We're under rubber dam. Let's start bonding. bonding. I guess it just shows how many other steps come before bonding that we've been talking about this all time that are just so important. But yet yeah, we've just got onto bonding. Look, the main thing about doing a proper bonding protocol is follow the instructions. Every bonding agent has very nice detailed instructions written down in the pack. And I'm still pretty stunned how many people don't follow them to the letter. If it's in there in the instruction, it, there's a reason for it. It's because that's what it takes to get a good bond. Um, I'm a fan of fourth generation bonds. Uh, so classic etch, rinse, prime, rinse, bond, light cure systems. Um, so I do it all to the letter. You know, when you put etch on, do it for 20, 25, 30 seconds. Literally, I'm always counting under my breath how many seconds it is. The, the clock in my room is ticking, so I use that as a, as a sign to make sure I've etched long enough. Then wash it really well for 10 seconds. Literally count the 10 seconds. Then And do you um, etch your dentine as well? Um, I, I do either selective etching or total etching. Um, it's a big topic. It's a bit controversial. I think uh, some people think this one's better. Some people think that one's better. Um, I don't want to get too hung up for it, but basically um, most of the time I do total etch because I'm using a fourth gen and I will first put my etch on the enamel so that it's sitting on the enamel for longer. Then I will put it on, on the dentine so that it's on the dentine for a shorter period and then I rinse it all off. Then really good washing and then dry everything. Um, now, this is a topic that I'm quite passionate about and every time somebody has visited me in the practice to, 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 to watch me, I really make a point of showing this to me that during drying is something I haven't heard people talk much about. When, you're, when you've used your triplex to wash the tooth surface and then you change to pressing the air button to dry that surface really well, check your air. You'd be shocked how often, even though you're just pressing the air button, 
you actually get little splutters of water spray coming out. And unless you're looking out for it, you won't see it. So hold your mirror out and blow that air onto your mirror and just watch for several seconds to see if there's any water coming out. A lot of the times there'll be water spray in there. And what does that mean? That means the times when you're then drying the tooth after etching, believing your tooth to be completely dry, it's not. When you put your prime on and then you're air drying it to evaporate the solvent in there, actually what you're doing, you're just spluttering some water on there. Instantly, you've ruined your bond. So make sure it's just pure air coming out with no water before you move on to drying the tooth and then the later steps. I don't know, is that something you've noticed yourself, Chidham? Yes, I. Um, it depends on your own unit and your chair and everything, but I've always had a, have a habit of after washing, I will squirt out, a, you know, a few seconds of air with my thumb. I just get away from the mouth and then have a nice long dry and I'll go over the top of it. I want to see my enamel frosty. Sometimes it's hard when you're drying, not over drying your dentine, but keeping your enamel frosty because if we're applying a prime layer, we don't want it to be overly uh, desiccated. Yep, yep, that's true as well. And, um, again, it's one of those slightly controversial topics that I've seen so many different opinions on. Um, you know, some people say, um, it doesn't matter if it overdries because when you kind of like go on to the next steps, you kind of rehydrate the dentine anyway with a prime. Some people say don't point the air at the dentine at all. Instead, use cotton to just dab dry it. Some people say just point the air on there, but, you know, you know, don't blow very hard. It's a really hard one, and I think it's very confusing. Um, if I'm honest, what I do and I don't want people to take this as gospel. This is just what I've used for years and it works in my hand. I air dry everything really well. And then I rely on my primer to rehydrate the dentine. And personally, I've never had a problem with this. It might be to do with the bonding agent that I use, but whatever works in your hand, do that. Yes. And are you using, just to, uh, to clarify, what is your current uh, choice of um, bonding I'm agent? using Clear Fill SE. So classic, classic, classic fourth gen bonding agent. Um, on the topic of drying, I'll just give one other quick tip. If you've got rubber dam on, make sure you dry all around the other teeth and every nook and corner of the rubber dam as well. It's no good just drying your own tooth, whereas there's a lot of other water hiding other places. Because what that means is later on when you apply your prime and bond, you will probably accidentally splatter some of that water that's been hiding somewhere else back onto your tooth. So dry everything, every nook and cranny really well. Spend a lot of time making sure there's no water hiding anywhere. Okay, so you've etched well, you've rinsed well, you've dried well. Um, I use fourth gen, so then I apply my primer. Um, you got to rub it in for 20 seconds. You got to really rub it in for 20 seconds. Again, count count the seconds don't don't cut corners here really count it um i sometimes work with a da that hasn't worked with me before and they think i'm crazy it's like why are you taking so long doing this you know why are you rubbing so much and I have to explain to them because that's what you're supposed to do you're supposed to rub it in for 20 seconds for it to work rub it in and then you're supposed to air dry it to evaporate the solvent then you apply your bond and 
apply that really well everywhere. And then again, you're supposed to air dry that to again evaporate some solvents and also to thin out your bond layer and make sure there are no um, uh, bubbles in your bond layer. And then you like your... Yes, and and really this scrubbing in of the prime, this is where you can minimise a lot of post-operative sensitivity. I really believe that this is the layer that's, sorry, this is the step that's been just treated too quickly or just like, you know, you just dab it on and and, and um, don't even evaporate the solvent properly because you need that prime, um, that hydrophilic part of the prime to penetrate into those dentinal tubules and then you need to evaporate the solvent so the other end of it is ready for the bonding. Now, if you miss a little bit, it doesn't go into all the tubules. It takes time to soak into it. This is where post-op sensitivity starts. And it wasn't until um, I think I did a Michael Mandikos course as well, and he actually made us sit there in an awkward silence so we could time how long 20 seconds was. And he's like, yep, keep rubbing. And he's like, is that longer than you'd normally wait? And all of us were like, yeah, that's longer. He's like, just do it and you'll I, I rarely ever get post-op sensitivity now. And I, I, I yeah, I think that was such a such a good point. Hundred percent point about it. And the air drying as well, like, you know, you really have to get that that solvent off. You don't want to desiccate it again, but this time your tubules are rehydrated, the surface is ready to take that um, hydrophobic resin uh, uh, bond bonding. Exactly. What are you focusing on this year? What are the CPD topics, the disciplines that you really want to get better at? And how do you find all the information out there on those topics? cpdjunkie.com.au is made to be a comprehensive directory of CPD in Australia and New Zealand. We created this because we found this frustrating. And now there is a system where you can be alerted if there's topics that come up that you are interested in. Make an account at cpdjunkie.com.au and update your alert settings. Every month on the 20th, we send an email sending you the information specific that you want to know about. Interested in communication, aesthetics and orthodontics? Same. Update your alert settings now. Take your CPD to the next level with cpdjunkie.com.au. I often tell sort of people... These steps, literally everything we've described during this podcast now, all the way from cleaning, sandblasting, rubber dam, isolation, etch, rinsing, prime, air drying, all these steps are ultimately what determine your success with bonding. I see a lot of people really zoom through these steps, not pay enough attention to them, And then they spend ages later on sculpting their cusps, you know, doing the layer by layer, getting beautiful grooves. None of that matters anywhere near as these initial steps. If if you if you haven't gotten a good bond to your tooth substrate, all the rest of it is for nothing. You know, you're going to get you're going to get the sensitivity, you're going to get leakage, secondary caries, uh, all of that. Um, I care far less about making my composites look pretty than I do about just getting all these initial basic steps right. Yeah, I totally agree. And um, on top of that, I I see a lot of, I I guess, blame assigned to material of choice 
when it comes to bonding. Uh, like, you know, if, if, oh, veneers don't work, they, or veneers only last this long. Actually, it totally depends on the bonding. It depends on how much enamel there is. It depends. So you can't say veneers last X long. It, it's all of these steps that actually determine the answer to that question. Um, yeah, and uh, can we talk a little bit about, you know, we've just finished bonding. Do you have any, I guess it's different for whether we're bonding a crown or, or bonding a composite resin, but do you have any tips around the actual composite application? Um, so I guess doing a direct composite, um, yes, on the on the rubber dam, if we've done our bonding, we've light cured our bond layer. Um I guess it's a big topic. Um, are we doing a class one? Are we doing a class two? Assuming it's just a class one, uh, at that point, I always uh, like to have a little bit of uncured uh, flowable composites first underneath. So I just put a little dollop on there and then I pack on my um, paste composite on top. Um, and you do that before curing the... I do, I do. The flowable underneath? I, do. I, know, okay. I know some people do, but I don't. Um, so I put a, just a dollop of uh, flowable composite and then the paste composite on top. I, I've got a composite heater. I quite like to heat everything. It just makes everything runnier and easier to pack and makes me feel happy that I'm not getting voids anywhere. And then I pack it all in. Um, I like to pack that in. Um, again, there are different ways people describe this. Uh, I guess something that comes out of our chat here, Chilim, is there are just so many different ways people do things. And I can only comment on how I do it and what works for me. I like to replace the dentine first and not go onto the um, enamel edges. Once I've filled in my dentine with composite, then I will put on my enamel layer. Again, with a little bit of uncured um flowable composite and then composite on top it's quite difficult to explain this i guess um without drawing diagrams and or, or showing it to you it's hard on it, a podcast use your words um and and do you have any tips around um if you're say bonding a a crown or a veneer how you treat the resin there well, I guess a crown, that's that's a pretty big topic. Are we talking about something bondable like Emacs or Feltspathic? Are we talking about, is that what we're talking about? Okay. Um, so let's let's talk about bonding Emacs. Uh, lithium disilicate, which is an etchable ceramic. Um, so you, let's, let's assume you've prepared your um, your Emacs already. You've, you've etched it, uh, salinated it and all that. Um You've got your tooth substrate ready, etched, prepared. People always ask me, again, what what you know what what steps do you run through? And again, I think the simplest answer I have is look at the um, bonding agent that you're using, the the, the the looting agent that you're using, and follow all the instructions on that. Every looting uh, agent is different. Um, I, I've used lots of different ones in the past. For a long time, I used um, Iberclaz Multilink uh, Cement. Now I use GC um, Linkforce, GSEM Linkforce, and the instructions are completely different. One of them says cure this first. One of them says don't cure it first. One of them says air dry the agent first. One of them says don't do it. 
just follow the instructions really well. Yeah, I think I think that's like the um, the the big takeaway. And do you do anything with that um, final oxygen inhibited layer with your say direct yes, composites? Yes, I do. Um, that's something that I do. Very easy. Use some kind of a see through um, viscous gel. You know, it, it could be it could be it could be glycerin. It could be all sorts of different things. You know, just get some glycerin. I put it in a syringe once I've done my final layer and I've cured it. Whether that's my normal composite or whether it's at the edges of my um, Emacs crown or onlay, just just put a whole lot on, cover that surface, and then just light cure through that again. And um, the idea behind that is that it removes the if fully it, it removes the air inhibitor layer. So you get a fully cured surface all the way to the surface. And that means it's better polished and you get less staining in the future. Yeah, I think that's a really good tip. And what about, there's one thing we didn't talk about, and I know that if some people do this, some people don't. Do you um, treat your, before you start bonding, do you treat your layer, your um, dentine with chlorhexidine or something like that? I don't. Um, the idea behind treating dentine with chlorhexidine is that it uh, deactivates the matrix metalloproteases. M- that's, that's, that's the one. Um, Nailed and, it. <laughs> um, so, so those are enzymes that are present in your dentine, and um, it's believed that over time these enzymes break down your hybrid layer. So therefore, your dentine bond is strong to begin with, but over time, it breaks down and you lose the strength of your dent uh, of your composite to your dentine. I don't do it. Um, the reason I don't do it is because, quite frankly, um, just over the years, the literature that I've looked at has never been very conclusive that it's got a very definite um, long-term benefit. Now, that's not to say that it, it's not true. It's just the literature, as far as I understand it, hasn't conclusively shown it. Maybe I need to check the literature again now and just see what the latest on that is. No, I mean, I'd, I actually don't do this step either, um, but I'm very open. I'm to very open to it as well. Hearing yeah, other people's exactly. if, um, experience and if it makes absolutely. a difference. Absolutely, you know, I'm 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 somebody who's very very happy to change what I do if I can be shown a good enough reason to do it. So I'm not saying don't do it. If you do it and it works well for you, please by all means carry on doing it. Um, in my personal hands, what I do now works. You know, I I've been doing it for you know 15 years now, and um, I get good results. So. There you go. Well, Bez, if 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 I ever need a a, a filling, I am so <laughs> coming to you because um, I think I think you're a very well uh, you're a very well educated dentist. You've taken the time to really learn about all of these different ways that things can be done, and you've found that middle ground for yourself where it's you're getting really predictable results. And um, a lot of the tips you gave today are absolutely essential. And I do wish I knew all of those when I uh, had graduated because actually some of those things I didn't start doing until only the last few years. Uh, so I think that it, that you just had so many little gold nuggets in there. Thank you You're so much You're very welcome. Uh, one final thing I want to, I guess, finish off with is a little 
bugbear of mine, I guess. Um, you often see people talk about how it's quite normal for composites to have post-op sensitivity. And I, I read that all the time. It's completely normal. People routinely warn their patients they're going to get post-op sensitivity. Um, I don't really believe in that. Most of the time, it's some issue with the bonding not gone very well. Um, sure, you can have post-op sensitivity from open dentinal tubules at the cervical area of the tooth. Uh, that's completely different. That's not due to the composite bonding. That's because you've got open tubules. It's dentin hypersensitivity. But if you have sensitivity underneath your composite, I just, I think we need to dispel that idea that this is a normal thing that sh happens with composites and we just routinely warn patients about them. If you get your bonding done really well, it shouldn't happen. That is a very good point. I think if you are getting post-op sensitivity or if you know someone who is, this is the podcast to listen to because I think we listed it about 25 factors um, in the bonding process, even the pre-bonding process that can um, have an impact on this. So um, I, I think that's really true. We, we Patients should not be um, having to unnecessarily suffer if it's due to, you know, a, a deficiency in our bonding protocol. Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.